I'm not here to poke holes and suspended disbelief. Anyway, they see some weird shit. They decide to make a baby. Thou Merkin merchant. Who gives a fuck? Oh my god, we're just gonna start calling you Damien Yeltsin's billboards. Well, you know, uh, I really like it here. Uh, it's kind of nice, and uh, it's not as cold as back home, and the soil is a lot better. So yeah, sure, I think we're gonna settle. If I'm a peasant boy who grabs a sword out of a stone, yeah, I'm able to open people up. You will, yeah. Anytime I hit them with it, right? Yeah. So my cleave landing will make me a cavalier. Good day, sir. If Siskel thought it was empty-headed plebeian trash, it was probably <laughs> really good at groove on it. <laughs> because cannibalism and murder. Pull back just a little bit and build walls to keep out the redheads. Authorial intent doesn't exist. Some people stand up and wipe their butts. Some people stay seated and wipe their butts. Like, it just... Ed Blaylock. I am a world history teacher up here in Northern California, uh, spending uh, one-fourth, well, actually two-fifths of my time uh, every educational week uh, teaching uh, remedial reading and doing all of that over the interwebs, thanks to the COVID-19 epidemic. Uh, And uh, of late, uh, notably uh, in mentioning the COVID-19 pandemic, I should probably mention here, uh, that we we have been in quarantine, like not just the shelter-in-place orders ordered by the state, but full-on quarantine in my household uh, because my son actually tested positive um, week before last. Uh, we have now been through his contagious period. My wife and I just went and got tested today. And... Um, I have to tell you, I have never been happier to have to change a poopy diaper in my entire life as every time I change one of my son's diapers and I go, I can still smell. <laughs> um, it really is a paradigm altering uh, kind of experience uh, that I don't recommend to anyone ever. Um, how about you? Well, who are you? I'm Damien Harmony. I'm a Latin teacher up here in Northern California. Uh, also teaching through the magic of the internet, unlike some of my friends up uh, a little further east of me, a little further north of me, and whatnot. I know of several yeah. schools that are full returns, so uh, their Jesus. school boards voted remotely to send them back. Uh, so yeah, I, uh, have been sheltering in place. I do not have a child who has contracted it because don't um but i have noticed that uh a lot of people aren't wearing masks so you know it's funny i I saw you posted about that on on facebook earlier Mm -hmm. and you know it's it's interesting the difference that you can see in in a distance of i don't know between us it's what 10 miles yeah uh because our our costco even outside of the gas station, mm-hmm. nearly everybody, like 90%, are masked. I want to say your Costco uh, is my Costco, though, because I go over there to you, Costco. To to the Expo uh, Costco. Yeah? Yeah. Really? Yeah. You're shopping at different times or something. Apparently. Well, I know. Well, okay. In the store. In the store, it was good. It was There were maybe 
10 to 20% were wearing their masks as uh, chin accessories, but the rest were wearing see, their masks. I didn't, that's funny. I didn't, I didn't see a number that high. Mm. I do know, uh, not this most recent time we went, but the time before that, there were a couple of folks who, who told the folks at the front door that they had a medical condition. Mm-hmm. And so they, they were not masked. And it took a very great deal of effort for me not to grab, like, signage or something and just beat the shit out of both of them. Because <laughs> sure. if, if you are walking around without a nasal cannula, you do not have a medical condition serious enough to prevent you wearing a cloth mask over your fucking face. Like, we, yeah. <clears throat> like, like we, one of my, one of my friends on Facebook, uh, is in, is in Tucson mm-hmm. and he has COPD. Okay. He, he has to go around. He literally has to carry an oxygen concentrator or, right. or an oxygen tank. And if he gets the Rona, it, it will kill him. Right. Like, yeah. And and he wears a fucking mask. Mm-hmm. Like dude's dude's lung function is thirty percent. Yeah, but he's 30% not thirty percent of he, normal. He's not making this choice due to convenience. He's making this choice due to survival. And there yeah. lies the difference. Yeah. Well, yeah, I know, but you get what I'm saying. Oh yeah. Like, yeah. like he legitimately has trouble breathing on a good day, mm-hmm. and he still wears a fucking mask. Mm-hmm. So. No, don't give me this medical condition bullshit. My wife is asthmatic. She wears a mask with no trouble. Yeah. Fuck off. Yeah. Anyway. So yeah, yeah that's, that's 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 been weird. yeah. It's it's okay. uh, and I'm I'm looking forward to the vaccines. So when the vaccines come mm-hmm. through and they hit us uh, and our families, I will be very very happy about that, and I will gladly get all the shots possible. So. Yeah. 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 Heck yes. So we talked for 10 episodes about a dystopian nightmare um, yeah. while Wait, living in spoken, one. Haven't we spoken for like most of our run about various dystopian <laughs> nightmares? Hasn't that kind of been a running yeah, undercurrent? I suppose so. Or yeah. sometimes not even, not even under. That's yeah. Like, it's, it's, yeah. But, but yes. So yeah, we, we, we spent 10 episodes uh, talking about, you know, a, a figure who has uh, sadly become... Um, a fascistic uh, uh, escapist fantasy. Yeah, and while while living through a crypto, at, at the very least, crypto fascist uh, regime and a and a real dystopian nightmare. Thank you, Gore Vidal. Um, yeah. yeah. So I figured, why not see if we could find the same thing in in children's cartoons? So <laughs> what I wanted Wait, to that was not the way you pitched that to me. <laughs> I just have a feeling said, it'll end up that way. Light and fluffy. You said let's do something light and fluffy. We've been gloom and doom for ten episodes talking about Batman being yeah. a, being a Nazi. Let's let's move on to something lighter and fluffier. Yes. And yet. Yeah. Here we go. And yet. <laughs> I'm it's very like interested. You have some kind of fixation. Yeah. Well. Yeah. Probably. I mean, what okay. authorial intent doesn't mean anything. So we uh-huh. end up reflecting the culture we live in. Yeah. All right. So so I said, why don't we do um three cartoons each that me yeah. that should have gone longer and of course as soon as yeah. i said that my three turned into five because that's <clears throat> how i do things so yeah uh <laughs> well, because you are not merely a completist you are an excessivist yeah 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 excessive that is that is a good way to put it i'm an excessive completist yeah. so there you go <clears throat> all right so uh this is um cartoons that deserved more 
Yeah. Uh, it might be a two-parter Zerf just bet. because of how we talk, but uh, yeah. here we go. Uh, <laughs> might so... be a three-parter because of the way we talk, but anyway, <laughs> carry on. So, which wouldn't be so bad. So, all right. Uh, the first cartoon that deserved more was called The Wuzzles. Did you ever hear of The Wuzzles? I have heard of, I have never seen. Yes. The Wuzzles. <clears throat> all right. Uh, okay. So, The Wuzzles contained the vocal talents of Henry Gibson. Uh, he was okay. the, you will, you will know him as the, the head Nazi from the Blues Brothers. Oh yeah, get that car's license plate number. We're mm-hmm. gonna get that son of a bitch. <laughs> okay. So th- this is a cartoon that oh came out God. in '85. So just a few oh, years really? removed. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. All right. Um, we Nazis. It also had Bill Scott, the voice of uh, Bullwinkle. Okay. All right. So this is a cartoon that is set in the Isle of Was. Uh, and it's about essentially portmanteau characters that are made of two wholly different creatures who manage to have wings no matter what, um, even if they don't have a creature in their makeup that's winged. Um, okay. So there's a bumblebee lion hybrid. There's an elephant kangaroo okay. hybrid. There's a rhinoceros monkey combo and on and on, right? And they all have okay. wings. But the ones that okay. come from winged creatures are ones that can actually fly. And... And so that's that's the makeup of the citizens of the Isle of Was. Okay. okay. W-U-Z, I assume? Yes, yes. Okay, okay. Uh, now, uh, the antagonists, because there were villains in this world too, all seem to have okay. some sort of tie to reptiles. So they're, they're still combos, but they're reptile combos. So you had a crocodile dinosaur, a lizard frog, and some sort of dragon boar combo. Okay. 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 Um, huh. Yeah. So here's the the lyrics to the theme song, because I do think a theme okay. song is important on a cartoon. Uh, Here in the land of was, they're having twice the fun, because every single thing is really two in one. A little bit of this and a little bit of that. And when you add it up, you get lots of laughs. Oh, they got originality driven with a split personality. Okay. So, and I don't remember the melody. Okay. But yeah. Okay. Kind of, kind of, kind of, kind of low key diversity inclusion. Yes. Everybody's different, and that's cool. Yes. Kind of, kind of yeah. theme. All right. Little right. tongue in cheek about it too. You know, they well, got split bit. personality. Bit, yeah. You know. Yeah, 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 yeah. Now keep in mind this is '85. So yeah. you know, as we spoke of the the Batman stuff, and as we've spoken. I think in other podcasts having to do with uh, possession movies and whatnot, the the idea yeah, of split yeah. personalities and 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 dissociative disorder and stuff like that <clears throat> was starting to really gain traction. It was in the beginning, 80s. beginning, beginning to be a thing. Okay, yeah. so why not do it with animals and then make them magenta and pink a lot, and and yeah. make it oddly cheerful? Yes. Yeah. Okay. So they also brought in semi-regular characters uh, of other combinations to teach important lessons. Uh, they were building a big world. There was It was clear that they were building a big world. And they licensed the living shit out of themselves. Uh, they had figures. They had stuffed animals. They had lunchboxes. I know this because my brother had the Wuzzles plastic lunchbox and plastic thermos. Okay. And Rhino Key the rhinoceros monkey combo was right okay. there on the front. Okay. Okay. Now 
this cartoon deserved more than the 13 episodes that it got. First of all, because like you said. Okay. Okay, wait, <laughs> yeah. back up. Yeah, back, yeah. back back the truck up. Sure, sure. Okay. So so they licensed the ever-loving hell out of this. Yes. And they only got 13 episodes. Yes. Do do you have an explanation of what happened there? I have a theory at the like, end. Like, were the ratings just crap, or... Like... I, have, I have a theory, and it has to do okay. with saturation. Um, okay, okay. But, uh, yeah, so... <laughs> yeah. Wow. Yeah. Actually, uh, you, you will find a theme in a lot of the ones that I poke, and there are multiple themes okay. that, that seem to weave through this, okay. which tells me a lot more about myself than I thought I'd find out studying which cartoons I thought should have kept on uh, okay so uh first of all uh i think that this cartoon deserved more because everyone was different okay like okay. you said second because it was all about the issues of identity even on an island where everyone was greater than the sum of their parts okay um the parts didn't actually matter so much as the choices that they made and you know i love that um yeah Third, the characters themselves were ripe for all kinds of rich, rich exploration, and they all had very distinct personalities from each other. So what do you do when you have a predator's mindset, but you also like being a bee? What do you do when you are like a grumpy-ass herbivore, but you're also a playful-ass monkey? Like... You know, like I, okay. I, I found right. that to be very rich and, and really cool. Now, in one episode, a character adopts a lost baby animal that's unique and cute. Um, and everyone recognizes that it needs to be returned to its mother. And the question of responsibility versus the question of desire arises. Can you think of any TV show that's currently ongoing that deals with the exact same issue? Yeah. <laughs> so. Yeah. No. <clears throat> Meanwhile, in the background, there's an antagonist, Crocosaurus, and he's trying to find a way to exploit it. <laughs> so, okay. <laughs> there's this undercurrent way to, way to manage to tie this into my current, you know, favorite sci-fi <laughs> geek obsession. Right. Like, holy shit. <laughs> yeah, the Wuzzles did it first, yo. Uh, so, yeah. Wow. All right. <laughs> So there's this undercurrent of a critique of I capitalism. To, I don't know what to think about that, man. <laughs> like, it's archetypical, maybe. I don't know. Yeah, I well, mean, yeah, yeah. How is yeah, that really clearly. that different from Waterworld? You know, where the girl's got the world tattooed on her back, uh, just lower budget, um, but and better script writing. Well, I, 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 I think we need to go back and watch Waterworld again, and then watch yeah. its sequel, The Postman, because that's what happens when the waters receded. Um, but <laughs> okay, okay, I, I, I can okay, I can see I, that take. That's yeah. an interesting theory. I, I watched Postman again recently, and I really, really do like it. I don't like the end of it, but I did like, like I, I don't like the the resolution, but I did like the entire movie overall. I thought it was really well done. Oh well, yeah, no, it's yeah. great. It's a, it's yeah. There, there are so many things about it that are amazing. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So I think Waterworld so anyway, needs rehabbing. Well, but anyway, so yeah. uh, so uh, it's it's critiquing capitalism ultimately, um, and several upper, other episodes do the same because it's like, well, we should find a way to, you know, I want to make money off of this thing. And speaking okay. of okay. critiquing capitalism, this is a show that gets away with eschewing capitalist ideology at a time where such critiques were all but forbidden by the Parent Television Council. 
And it's probably because on the surface, it's also kind of an anti-poor thing. Um, but if you go deeper, it's actually anti the system that makes them poor. Okay. So, for okay, instance, Bumble Lion, he's made up of yeah, okay, Bumble yeah, Bumble being a lion. Yeah. Okay. It's clever names. I mean, just yeah. Well, yeah. We're we're gonna we're gonna we're gonna see some names that are a lot less clever than that here coming up. <laughs> I guarantee you. But so, anyway, Bumble Lion finds money on the ground, which had been stolen from the bank. And he starts acting like a dick because he's got the money. In another episode, Crocosaurus takes advantage of butter bears. Now, butter bear is made up of a butterfly and a bear. And a bear. Yeah. Okay. He takes advantage of butter bear's generosity during a disaster, and he bilks her out of her food supply. Crocosaurus does. So, I mean, in many ways, that's anti-refugee. But at the same time, it's really anti the system that made him such. Uh, in another episode, there's a plot about them acting more hoity-toity in order to get invited to a party and clearly lampooning the upper-class manners through making fun of uh, the poor, right? Like, oh, look at these silly poors. They can't do this. But okay. really, it's making fun of these these manners. So it keeps it, it mm. keeps the, the class structure in place for the suburban moms who make up the parent television council. Uh, and I am painting and with a broad brush. And who are really paying half attention to what's exactly. going on? Exactly. Yeah, you know, okay. it's like, can I right. panic? Um, I so. I do. Hearing this, I do mm-hmm. wonder if you're giving the script writers more credit than they necessarily deserve for wokeness. It, it could be, but like, there's many of them that stack up like this, right? Of the okay. thirteen, okay. I think four or five seem to have a message that capitalism ain't great. Um, in fact, the very last episode uh, is there is a guy who's a tiger and raccoon combo. Would you like to guess what his name is? I, I, uh, tycoon. Yes. He gives them a money tree. Okay. And then they all obsess over the money tree. Okay. And, and it's, okay. it's clearly a send up to the gods must be crazy. Uh, and also, because again, this is the writers making shit for kids, Crocosaurus tries to steal the money tree. Right. Right. Yeah, because obviously. Mm-hmm. So yeah. you okay. asked why it got canceled. Here's here's why I think it was. This was one of the the two. The suburban moms realized that, you know, <laughs> one of them was actually wearing a beret all the time. And, you know, <laughs> Shea, Shea Tiger Vara was like, you know. That would be awesome. <laughs> was a step too far. <laughs> <laughs> no, they, sadly, they be, you know they they got too overt in their commentary. No, apparently, no, sadly, I think it's it's more capitalistic than that. Honestly, I think it's because there were two original Disney cartoons that came out in 1985. Um, do you know um, what the other one was? Wait, this was a Disney thing. Yeah, this was a Disney cartoon on oh, a network. Well, shit. Okay, what was the other uh, one? Well, the other one was uh, my my wife's favorite retro cartoon crack, uh, Gummy Bears. Yes. Nice job. Yeah. Uh, so this one I also think got canceled simply because Bill Scott died. Oh, yeah. Okay. Which is weird, though, because Bill Scott also was Gruffy Gummy and they kept going with they kept going with them. So, yeah. You know, I I don't quite know why. Now, this cartoon was, but I do think that Bill Scott's death and the fact that they had two on on two different networks 
it was yeah. and it was on two different networks too and i think they were like okay you know what let's just focus on the one i i think so. i yeah I, I think it's 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 a it's a case of uh, kind of self cannibalization is but they yeah. they threw them out there and like i know for a fact that well i remember clearly mm-hmm. more of my peers talking about the gummy bears yeah than i remember talking about the wuzzles and it could have been trying to remember which network gummy bears was on but i i do also remember that for me abc i yeah i had a distinct network preference like for my saturday morning cartoon (laughs) viewing it was like abc had the better stuff yes it did it did because they Uh, had because if i remember remember right they had transformers i don't i'm not sure i never saw i never saw transformers on the weekends i only saw that on the syndicated that's a good point that was yeah all right but you and i live in different places and yeah so so but but i remember you know saturday mornings um i wasn't a huge fan of the gummy bears but the other stuff that abc had was better than Mm -hmm. like NBC or CBS's stuff. Right. Yeah. Yeah. It did feel like and the that, and were that could have been that could have been part of it. It might have. It might have. So, now this cartoon that, was subversive. It was imaginative. It had good lessons. It was well paced, uh, and it definitely had a rich tapestry uh, that it was drawing on for a good story. It had a world that it had created, and we hadn't even scratched the surface. And it wasn't an action cartoon, so it was aimed at littler kids. Or kids that didn't dig all the violence, and I think all of that okay. deserves a a another look. It deserves a reboot uh, because you you could get into serious like it deserved more than thirteen episodes. It should have gone the normal sixty five that a lot of them did. Um, yeah, and uh, no, I, I yeah, can agree with that. So so that is my okay. first cartoon that I think deserves to come back. What uh, or okay. not come back, but deserved more than it got. So what okay. is the first one that you've got, sir? Okay, so I'm I'm gonna kind of talk about mine in in uh, ascending order of worthiness. Okay, so this kinda is the, the least worthy then. This is this is the one that like I think is cool that I I think I think deserved more than it got. Mm-hmm. Um, but like I would I would I would want the other two that I've that I've listed here before this one. Mm-hmm. So uh, my first one's gonna be Tiger Sharks. Ooh. Now, wasn't that part of a suite of other ones, though? Wasn't that with yes. Karate Cat and Street Frogs? Yes. Yes. Yes, precisely. Yes. yes. The action something. I it don't it was a what, but yeah. diet version of good cartoons, as I recall. Yeah, kind of. Yeah. 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 And and the thing is... It was like the Hydrox of cartoons. Like, <laughs> you know? Like, yeah, these, these like are that, all right, because like I don't want to watch the littles. Good. Yeah, because, yeah, yeah, you know, talking about, you know, well, you know, the other network has better stuff, but this ain't bad. Yeah. Yeah. And so Tiger Sharks debuted in 87 and they only got one season and it was it was part of the 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 menu. Yeah. With cats. And um, oh, my God, I I don't remember the Tiger Sharks theme, but I remember Karate Cat and I remember Street Frogs, both of their themes. He's huh. lean, well, he's mean, a karate machine. He's karate cat. We love him a lot. Karate cat. Kiao, baby. Oh, wow. Yeah. And then, you know, who can do hip hop better than a frog and street frog, street frog. Wow. Yeah. I'm Big you Max. Call me spider. I'm Loop de Loop. Honey loves so, Loretta. We're the street wow. frogs. <laughs> Damn. Yeah. This is why I get yeah. lost everywhere I go. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> 
like Sherlock, your hard drive, you, you know, yeah. there's only so much space in the hard drive, but <laughs> exactly. you know, in your case, this is what it's full of. Yeah. <laughs> you, you could be the world's greatest detective, but I here you be. are. Yeah. <laughs> um, so, so the thing is, um, if you, if you look at the animation of tiger sharks, if you mm-hmm. look at the art design, mm-hmm. if you look at, well, I'll keep going here in a second, but it's, it's very, very clear. Uh, if you're familiar with its siblings, you can immediately tell that this came from the same production company as Thundercats. Yes. And Silverhawks. Yes. Okay. Um, all three of them are thematically very, very close together. Yeah. They all involve a team with specific archetypes being represented. Um, you know, you have the charismatic kind of, you know, late twenties, early thirties leader guy. Mm-hmm. You have the mechanic who's also, you know, kind of a, kind of a, kind of a badass, but kind of a support badass. And you only see him really become a badass when he, when it, when it becomes absolutely necessary. Right. He's usually an older, gruffer dude too. Yeah. Yeah. Older and gruffer. Yeah. Um, and then, um, you know, you have a. Uh, support, uh, you know, female character who uh, is there to attract, you know, to to uh, get dads to watch along uh, with <laughs> their kids. It's hella gross, but yeah. Well, yeah, and it's were, it's it's I mean, the I'm Chitara not, and Tigra thing, right? So like the two yeah, of them seem yes, paired, yes, but they're not. Yeah, uh, yeah, they're kind of paired. Yeah, precisely. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So and and the thing is, part of part of the reason I'm at all a fan of tiger sharks. Mm-hmm. Um, and part of the reason I'm a I'm a huge like Thundercats fanboy mm-hmm. um, is uh, it's made by Rankin Bass, and you may have heard me mention this name before. I have. Um, I don't know. I don't know if I've actually like espoused my my loyalty here, mm-hmm. but Rankin Bass, uh, for those who aren't like immediately twigging with the name, um, they are the production company. Number one, uh, we're recording this a week before Christmas, and so it's worth noting that they made a whole slew of uh, stop motion animation uh, Christmas specials over the course of the '60s and '70s. Oh my God! Yeah, that's Rankin Bass. Okay. Uh, the the one that I just recently rediscovered, thanks to the wonderful people at Consolation 2020 on Facebook, uh, is the Life and Times of Santa Claus. Mm-hmm. Which is no kidding the closest thing anybody has done to a puppet. Like aesthetically, it's like take the line art from The Hobbit and The Return of the King and mm-hmm. make puppets. And I started watching it once, like the the year I think it was the year that it got released, which was eighty two. Mm-hmm. Um, I'd have to look it back up, but I was I was a youngster. I started watching it. I was absolutely fascinated and my mother turned it off because it's a, it's a Santa Claus story that starts out with a bunch of fairies sitting around a table and it's very much not Christian. Okay. And yeah. what's really funny to me about that is, um, my, 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 my upbringing was not religious. Like there, there, there is one time and one time only that I can think of where my parents ever said, this is a little bit too heathen for me. <laughs> and that was, and that was this, this show. Wow. Was looking like 
I, I don't I don't think we need to be watching that. And 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 it was my mother who turned it off. I, th- I think my dad was a little bit like, well, I was kind of liking that, but it wasn't <laughs> part with my mom in front of me, you know. Um, but anyway, so that's that's Rankin Bass, and okay. a lot of the stuff that they did uh, consistently had a very very similar kind of art style. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and you can kind of, if you look at, if you look at the way the series kind of look, you can see kind of how it evolves over time. Mm-hmm. But one of the things that, um, how, how, I, let me, let me back you up just a hair. How knockoff of Thundercats was it? Like, was the mechanic bald and crumpy and blue? He was not blue. Okay. But was and, like the, the, was Chitara and Tigra, their their analogs were they roughly orange and kind of armored? No. Okay. No, color wise, color wise, there was there was there were notable differences. Okay. Uh, okay. Because because so the the central conceit of Tiger Sharks mm-hmm. was that the the protagonist team were uh, space explorers. It was it was a science fiction story. Uh, rather than you know, um, did they have the a things- schnarf? I'm sorry to interrupt, but did they have a schnarf? I, I seem to I remember them having out. a seal who was an ally. Yeah, yeah probably. Well, yeah, probably. Yeah. Okay. I'd have okay. To get back up. All right. All right. Anyway, um, you're you're so, you're so going. The thing on. is, like like Thundercats, it's science fiction but fantasy mm-hmm. only. In this case, it's it's the aesthetic is more science fictiony, less fantasy like. Okay. Um, and uh, they are space explorers who wind up on a largely aquatic world and uh, they have a, a piece of equipment in their ship called the fishbowl okay. when they need to go out, when they need to go out into the water so that they can go interact with the natives of this planet who are, you know, aquatic uh, they, they dive into the fishbowl and through science wizardry uh, they get transformed from humans into kind of human fish mutants I remember the, t- and, the I remember so the, the opening lead- title now because it involves yeah. them doing that, and I think is it, it even knocks off the song for Silverhawks, doesn't it? It's Tiger sharks, bit. yeah, yeah, okay, oh, yeah. Um, and and so the leader of the group was Mako, Mako, who, okay. Uh, got a got a huge shark fin on the top of his head, and his oh. his super ability as a fish was that he was able to swim exceptionally fast. Mm. Um. And which, you know, for species of shark that fits yep. the uh, Chitara clone mm-hmm. stand in mm-hmm. uh, actually um, kind of her her head, her hair got replaced by tentacles is the easiest way to describe it. She oh, became okay. she became kind of kind of octopoid from the neck up, oddly remained mammalian from the neck down. So we I could wonder see that why she had breasts. Yeah. Yeah. So that we can see. Yeah. Um, you know, and, and, and so then, then having transformed, they would go out and do, you know, whatever had to be done, you know, heroically. Mm-hmm. Interestingly, the villain and his, his, uh, minions in the show were also like human fish hybrids, but they weren't humans who became that. They were just naturally human fish hybrids, like mutant. Okay. Kind of creatures, which ties in a bit with the bad guys in Thundercats being the Beast Men, mm-hmm. you know, um, and and in in this case, uh, the bad guy is not a clone of Mum Ra, which is okay. you know a nice thing, but you know, 
And uh, so we were talking about, you know, uh, uh, naming conventions. Uh, the planet, of course, everything takes place on is named Watero. <laughs> okay. Literally spelled water O, water hyphen O, but pronounced Watero. I right? see why you suspect that the writers of the Wuzzles were lazy, not not as woke. Because clearly the writers of the one that you liked were lazy as fuck. Yeah. Although, so, although Susano yeah. O was the god of the sea in Japanese mythology, yes. and they did the dash okay. O thing. Yeah, well, yeah, no, it's true. But you're giving them more credit than they deserve. <laughs> like, Probably. So, so the, thing, the thing is here, this, this has, there is, there is so much potential here. Like the initial idea they came up with is really cool. And just like Thundercats and just like Silverhawks, I mm-hmm. think to a lesser extent, but like the thing, the thing about the Rankin Bass original properties that I, I, that is like catnip to me is the world building. Like the Thundercats existed in what turned out to be a massive world mm-hmm. with all kinds of stuff going on, all kinds of characters, all kinds of, you know, right. weird and and the same and and, I, and you get the feeling like if they had let this last longer than a season, there would have been so much more to explore. Sure. But I think the writers and the production staff and the art designers and everybody else were just like, you know what, we're spent. Like, you know, they 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 wound up kind of becoming uh, uh, overburdened by the weight of their own tropes. Okay. Okay. The formula, the formula that, like, for whatever reason, whoever was responsible for making production decisions was like, no, no, this is the formula. This worked for Thundercats. This worked for Silverhawks. We're gonna stick with it. Right. And and so, like, okay, we're gonna we're gonna replace part of the central conceit, but you know, the character archetypes are, you know, cut and paste. And, you know, the, the relationship between the heroes and the bad guy is kind of cut and paste. And, you know, mm-hmm. and so this, that, that's, that's ultimately the reason why this is the weakest of my three entries is okay. like, there's some potential here. Um, but it was kind of just left to die without them really, without them having the energy to put into it, to, to exploit it, to, to build on it. Well, and again, it you was I mean? it was part of a suite of cartoons. Yeah, and so and in that suite, you had the comedy, you had the, yeah. I don't know what the fuck Street Frogs was trying to do. I I shudder to get into the mind of what they were trying to do with Street Frogs. Yeah. So, you had the comedy. This was cringe. Yeah, it was. Uh, yeah. You know, we understand black well, people; know. they're frogs now. Um, and then. And then you had action, which is what this was supposed to be. Yeah. Yeah. You know, and the thing is, the animation didn't suck. Mm-hmm. Um, the art quality was, I mean, if you if you like the art style of Rankin Bass's stuff, the art style, the, the yeah. artwork was, you know, really good. Mm-hmm. Um, and, I mean, there's there's some promise in kind of, you know, the the... the storylines and the and the kind of character interaction there's a promise that this could be mm-hmm. really cool and mm-hmm. then they just kind of never went anywhere with it gotcha and I'd, I'd like to see i'd like to see this number one this has never gotten even a dvd release <laughs> anyway yeah which only being one season and not having that many people who were like oh man that was awesome i can totally understand yeah. why it didn't 
you know, I, if if Cartoon Network could like look at this and go, you know what, and and we really, yeah, Cartoon you know? Network and USA totally should have because they were showing all kinds of wacky ass cartoons. Oh yeah, Crazy you know, shit. Yeah. yeah, like half of which was Hanna Barbera's castoffs, but still, like, <laughs> and how Hanna bad do you have to be? There's a lot of eye blows. Yeah, yeah, you know. Yeah. Well, nice. Okay. All right. So that's that's my number one is Tiger Sharks. All right. Well, here's my next one. Um, okay. The Orbots. Do you remember the Orbots? I remember the name. Okay. They the were they, they they were um, the Mighty Orbots, and they came out in 1984. Now you dig it because it's a Japanese super robot series, and it ran on uh, Saturday mornings the year that my brother was born. Uh, it featured the vocal talents of Barry Gordon. You remember now? Yeah. Well, you know, I didn't catch very many episodes of it, but yeah, uh-huh. I'm remembering. I'm uh-huh. looking at it now, and and they were they were a combining yeah super robot yes. team. Yeah, like I said, yeah, super robot series. Like proto, proto Voltron. Yes. Well, uh, well, we'll get to that. So okay. it it featured the vocal talents of Barry Gordon, who did Donatello's voice in Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. Yeah. Uh, Julie Benef- Julie Bennett, who was Cindy Bear from Yogi Bear. She also was yeah. Lois Lane from the Superman 60s cartoon. And okay. Don Messick, who was Papa Smurf. Yeah, Don Messick is mm-hmm. a big name. Now, this one was about yeah. six robots who combined into one. Now, that's six robots combining into one. It had three female robots on it, which yeah. is decidedly different from Transformers or Voltron. Uh, two others oh, yeah. who also had combining robots in them, which are contemporaneous with this cartoon, and I did the research to figure it out. All of them had combining robots in the same year. Uh, but neither of the others really did it with distinct personalities. Devastator was really just a bunch of different robots, but really all yeah. kind of the same note. Voltron was a bunch of distinct personalities, but those were humans piloting the robot lions. Yeah. This cartoon was specifically about these specific robots, and their combined power is a combination of their personalities, and it benefits everyone. Like I said, there's a few themes that seem to run through my shit. Yeah, here's you be freak. <laughs> communalism. Uh, here's part of the theme song. Okay, heroes will never be scared. Bright light shining together as one. Orbots protecting the world from me and you. Go, mighty Orbots. I, I'm okay. pretty sure this is a Japanese cartoon translation, yes. you know? Yes. Now. And and you can, it's a bit stilted, so you can kind of tell. Yeah. 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 So yeah. here's here's the, and, and I mean, the opening theme has like the, the pretended motion, you know, the lines. Oh, past. yeah, yeah the, yeah. the dash, dash lines. Yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah. Speed lines. Sorry, yes. speed lines. Yes. Yeah. So here's, here's the, the. Uh, conceit of it it's the future and a bunch of alien species plus the earth are part of a united planets who use the galactic patrol to maintain order in the galaxy there's an evil criminal organization called shadow and okay it, and it's led by the cyborg umbra Ooh, who wants nice to rule the galaxy there. yeah like okay <laughs> umbra all right as <laughs> uh, a latinist i'm just like really <laughs> God damn it! You know, as hey, it's, you know it's, what? As an English as an English teacher, I'm like, you know what? That's a really good example of us, you know, yeah. beating up other languages and stealing, going through their pockets for vocabulary. <laughs> it's like right up there with, so, with the the scientific word for grizzly bear, 
which just means yeah. like was it Ursus Arctos Arctos? Yeah, like horrible, Ursus, horrible. No, I'm sorry, it's it's uh, Ursus Arctos Horribilis. Yeah, horrible, horrible bear bear. bear. Yeah. <laughs> like... Which which you know is is a little bit better than you know the European brown bear Arctos Arctos. Bear bear. Or no, sorry, it's Ursus, Ursus Arctos. Arctos. Yeah, bear bear. Bear bear. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and, and they had to add, I, I just, okay. Anytime I talk about grizzly bears, I have to bring this up. So, so the first European or the first Americans, uh-huh. you know, in the, in the, in the, you know, white people, American sense of it, uh, when, when, uh, uh, the, the Lewis and Clark expedition got, uh, to the, to the far side of the, of the continental divide from, you know, back East, uh-huh. they encountered their first grizzly bear. And um, the first encounter they had with one was apparently the most terrifying few moments of the entire expedition. Yes. Uh, because it shrugged off, I want to say it's at least a dozen bullets. Yeah. Um, you know, from, you know, and, and, and anybody who, you know, is, is a gun nerd like me, something, something I, f- I feel needs to be pointed out is these things were shooting 68 caliber bullets. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, by modern standards, they were firing cannonballs at this thing, and mm-hmm. the bear was like, "I'm sorry, the fuck? Get yeah. out of my neighborhood, motherfucker!" <laughs> like, <laughs> didn't they have to like I, run and jump in a lake? My fucking lawn. Yeah, they they had to they had to flee at yeah. top speed. You know, yeah. And, and then, I, if I recall correctly, then a mountain lion came and kept them in the goddamn lake for even longer. Like it was, there was like some <laughs> tag team action going on in the wild kingdom there. Yeah, it was. Yeah. It, yeah, um, that's that's one of my favorite notes about Lewis and Clark. The other one is that uh, they got they got all the way over the mountains into the Pacific Northwest, mm-hmm. got hosted by native tribes who helped them out by by feeding them because they they'd run out of their food supplies, and their uh, their diet changed overnight from basically you know elk, uh-huh. which, you know which is all they'd been eating for weeks, and they were starting to get scurvy, changed from that to uh, salmon. Trout, mm-hmm. berries, and root vegetables. Makes sense. And the sudden and the sudden change in diet left all of them with yeah. with like <laughs> crippling dysentery. <laughs> and uh, and uh, McCullough in his in his writing about about the Lewis and Clark undaunted courage. Uh huh. The Lewis and Clark expedition. He he points out that you know, in an alternate timeline somewhere. Uh, a couple of tribes in the Pacific Northwest wound up, you know, leaving them all to shit themselves to death, took all of their guns and built their own empire. Like, wow. because, because they were, they were armed like a military expedition. Right. They, they, they had so many pounds of gunpowder. It's ridiculous. And <laughs> like, there they were armed to the teeth and completely helpless. <laughs> and, you know, I'm just saying the history of white settlement of the West could have not happened if yeah. just induced them to happens. shitting themselves more. Yeah, you know. So, so anyway, all right. And that's a huge segue. But anyway, back yeah. to our main point: Orbots. Yeah. Uh, so they're fighting Shadow, Umbra. who's led by the cyborg Umbra. Um, now yeah. the the show centers around the efforts of one inventor or scientist uh, named Rob Simmons. Um, he's secretly a member of Galactic Patrol for reasons I never understood, and thus he is secretly in charge of the Mighty Orbots. Now, they fight for truth, justice, peace for everyone. It's a pretty chill group. Rob changes out of his lab lab coat and into his Omni suit, which is complete with a helmet. 
And then he runs the Orbots. Now, he's not... What's that? I'm down. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I like it so far. This is awesome. So, he's not known as the mild-mannered scientist by Galactic Control, by the way. So, he has to keep up his secret identity because it's actually not clear. Uh, But it's pretty much a Clark Kent subplot. Because Dia, his commander's daughter, who's a hotshot warrior on her own, despite needing Orbot rescue on occasion, is hot for the Orbot commander, but is only friends with Rob. Wow. Now, Rob... That's like hardcore Clark Kent vibes. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. All right. Now, Rob's commander, Rondu is a space elf of some sort. I can't figure it out. And so is his daughter, Dia. Um, he, okay. he has the long white hair, the ears. He's clearly long-lived. He also has psionic powers. It's, it's, it's pretty rad. Now, okay. the Orbots themselves are pretty neat. They're all different sizes and shapes, too. They're not yeah. uniform. So yeah, I, looked, I looked it up here. I'm looking at images. Yeah. All right. And so yeah. so here, is, here is each Orbot in succession. There's Ono. Now, her name is Helipund all the time, and she is a female robot. She's the Laura Ingalls of the group. Okay, wait. Laura Ingalls? <laughs> yeah, the bossy like... little sister. Yeah. Oh, Needs validation. Okay, yeah. She's vital to the team because she literally keeps them together. She's the circuit link for the rest of them. And if she's not there, they can't get into their gestalt form. She helps Rob okay, run so the she's show. The, she's, the little, she's the little pink one. Yeah. Okay. Tor. Now, Tor is the strongest. He's the brute. He's very boastful. He's quick to fight. He's the torso and the head of the gestalt form. Okay. He's the kind of upper body looks Optimus Mm Prime-like. And he's macho-ly supportive. Yeah. Red, white, and blue. Mm Mm-hmm. Interesting. Yeah. This is a Japanese cartoon, and the colors of the American flag are on Mm -hmm. the big, strong, yeah. Square-jawed. Kind of looks like he skips leg day, though. Yeah. Well, he doesn't have to do leg day because there's two other people for that. Uh, Now, (laughs) what's cool is actually that the female members hella show being bothered by his machoism. Um, He's a bit dim, but he's decent enough of a leader that when Rob isn't around, he gets Ono's support and input, and he kind of makes decisions for the group. Okay. Now, this brings us to Bort. Bort is Tor's opposite. Tor is stocky and bulky. Bort is rail thin. He's also nervous as hell, and he can reconfigure himself into anything the team needs because of his unique manufacture. He's frequently neurotic. He's clumsy. He's indecisive. And this is probably due to his protean nature. Now, imagine Mr. Fantastic, but without him being a dick. Okay. He, he's the and he's the kind of blue and silver one. Yeah, he's the, the lower right leg to his head. Yeah. Okay. Lower right leg, and in a, he's right. his addition to the gestalt is that he can alter their hands into all kinds of things once he's part of them. Okay. Yeah. Cool. Now this brings us to Bo. She's the alpha female. Uh, okay. e- even though Ono is really bossy, he is, uh, or, or she, uh, Bo is the is the alpha. This is the one who is confident. She gets shit done, and she's competent. She's also a bit of a prankster, by the way, and she's coded to be beautiful as a robot. So you can pick her out pretty. Easy. Is this the orange one? I believe so. Yeah. Um, with, the, with the you know very clear eye makeup. Yes, and somehow okay. she's an elemental manipulator too. 
Uh, okay. Once she joins the Gestalt, she's the left arm. Okay. And the whole thing can now manipulate the elements. Uh, okay. All right. Now that brings us to her twin sister, Boo. Okay. I was going to say the two the two tall, leggy female robots look an awful lot alike. Yes. And they are. Okay. Now, Boo keeps Bo in line with all of Bo's pranks, right? Boo has the invisibility uh, ability, um, and she manipulates light and energy and such, and she's the right arm, and she's okay. why the Gestalt can do all the teleporting, invisibility, and hologram projector thingies that it does. Oh, wow. She this was is a pretty powerful Gestalt robot, I gotta yeah. say, man. and she was my Holy favorite. Holy cow. Yeah, she was badass. Okay. All now, right. that brings us to Crunch. He's the fat one. Yep. He eats, and that's literally his power. He can consume anything in his strong jaws and turn it into energy. Uh, he's the lower left leg, and he's the portable battery for the group. He literally keeps them energized. Okay. Now, that's, I, that's I am them. really liking. Yeah. Okay, I'm really liking the theme that you know every one of them does very clearly bring something to the table. Yes. It, it does definitely sound like there's some uh, uh, clear distinction mm-hmm. between them. Mm-hmm. And each one of them has their weaknesses without being, like, weak. Like, there, yeah. there is no weak man in the, in the mix. Right, right. There, there is no, like, why the fuck are you here character. Yeah. yeah. Now, Shadow is trying to rule the galaxy with Umbra as its boss, like I said. So they regularly have to fight his grotesque minions. Umbra himself is a big old planet inside of a Dyson sphere. Uh, He's he's too powerful for an all-out assault, but if you fight him at the margins of his power, that's what you can do if you're Galactic Patrol. Okay. Now, Umbra has people who help him, Draconis, Captain Shrike, and Plasmus. Um... And they help okay. they help him in his schemes that revolve around destroying or discrediting the mighty Orbots, and evidently okay. the Orbots are the linchpin to the entirety of the Galactic Patrol. And yeah, well, that's yeah. that's pretty much a a uh, how to put it. That's a, that's a common uh, kind of trope in these kind of series mm-hmm. in in Japan as they get written. That's that's a conceit that consistently shows up. Like, what does the rest of this organization do, man? Yeah, like yeah, you know. Okay. Uh, and uh, they they send out giant beasts and robots, etc. So to, to do this now, it's robies. Yeah. Okay. So this show only ran for 13 episodes. So another theme for Damien. Okay. Yeah. It was canceled due to a lawsuit that ate up resources because the lawsuit was filed by the people who created GoBots. Okay, back up. Okay. Hold on. Okay. Okay. All right. So, so this is about a group of robots. Yep. Of different colors. Yep. Who combine to form a Gestalt robot form. Yes. Who are fighting against a monolithic villain figure and his empire. I mean, criminal syndicate. <laughs> right? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And they got sued by the people behind the GoBots. Yes. 
I'm 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 not seeing it. <laughs> like it's almost like you know, expect someone else to have sued them. Yeah, and and the, and, and the funny thing is, you know, the, the studios that that were the studio that was responsible for for um, Voltron mm-hmm. wouldn't be doing that because they were themselves licensing the property from the Japanese, you know, studio that originally did. Mm-hmm. Whatever, and and right now it's late at night, and I'm you know well into a very strong beer, so I'm having a hard time remembering you know what the what the original Japanese name was for Voltron. But mm-hmm. like, of all the people that could be trying to sue them, the people who did a not really that great knockoff of the Transformers are not the people that I would be looking at <laughs> as the ones to bring that lawsuit. And yes, yes, the GoBots were were a weak weak sauce cut paste of the transformers fight me mm-hmm. fight me come at me on twitter that's fine i will i yeah I, I i will look forward to it eagerly i i get the feeling though that the gobots are hydrox of the transformers which is oreo in very similar ways in that hydrox actually came first i think the gobots actually came first I could be wrong. I think you know it depends. At I think us. It depends on how you want to say it came first. Yeah. Yeah. And now this is this is something I'm going to have to furiously look up <laughs> in in a moment here while yeah. we're while we're talking about something else. But um, by the way, Voltron was called Beast King Go Lion. Thank you, God. I knew it had Beast Lion somewhere in yeah. it. Yeah, Beast King Go Lion. Yeah. Yeah. I so, think Voltron's anyway. a good change. So, all right. So this this <laughs> show got sued off the air, basically. So it ran for only thirteen. But it's one of the very few Saturday morning cartoons that got an actual finale. So the Orbots. Here's the here's I remember this vividly. The Orbots fly, find blueprints of what they think is their replacement, and they figure the only way to prove their worth is a direct assault on Umbra. But we know that's of course too dangerous for anyone. So they go for it because Umbra is threatening to destroy Earth's sun. And, and they end up having to do it alone without Rob's help for the aforementioned reasons. Plus, Umbra has captured him. Uh, they destroyed Umbra and Shadow once and for all. He didn't escape, and he's done. They come to find out it was, and I, I especially remember, like, just literally the last three minutes, the, the old blueprints of themselves. It wasn't the new blueprints because Rob points out the date at the bottom. And then, of course, Ono is embarrassed, and she does the Japanese laughing, embarrassed face. Um, yeah. And you know, the the like, no no machine would move with that much animation. Um, and and that's the end of the whole series, and it just kind of pans out from from that. Now, I think it was a really good first season, but there easily could have been more because Captain Shrike is a pirate captain, so there's tons more you could have done there. Uh, the Orbots already show friction between them, so there's a lot of meat on the bone there. Uh, at one point, Ono like went off to prove herself and that she could do things on her own, so that was already a thing that was already there. Plasmus is another villain who can change himself in all kinds of ways, so you could have him or his whole race or oh, whatnot. Yeah. You could have oh, infiltration yeah. storylines with him. Draconis could have gotten away and built another mighty robot to fight the Orbots Gestalt in the second season easily. Mm-hmm. Yeah. What I love about this show and about this group is that they don't just get to be a bigger robot that can make a sword or be stronger. Each of their abilities, like we were saying, gets shared mm-hmm. across the Gestalt, making it much more than the sum of its parts. 
there's again all kinds of issues of identity and self-worth that get brought up in this uh, series and there's lots of insecurity being shown in different ways there's lots of opposites finding ways to engage each other in healthier ways and it's a rich mm-hmm. rich show and it's worth noting that half of the robots are female yeah um which would have been awesome for little girls and boys who dug robots in general right Yep. I, I don't know of any toys that got licensed, uh, and so there's a lot yeah. of money on the table that they could have picked up. I saw, when I was doing my image search here a second ago, um, I did see that mm-hmm. there apparently were some toys. They don't look very good. Oh, wow, okay. I think they may have been like in, in the Japanese market that okay. just like never made yeah. it to the States, and, yeah. and it never the property never got uh, developed in that way because it was, again, only one season. It didn't get like Kenner or Hasbro or Mattel. <laughs> yeah, it didn't, didn't, yeah. Get, didn't get one of, the, one of the big, you know, like, you know, big three mm-hmm. uh, toy makers on it uh, at the time. I am, I am going to say here, um, I would really like to see this revived, if only... Uh, to see more development of the relationship between uh, our our scientist inventor uh, protagonist and Dia, yeah, because yeah. she looks like a pretty remarkably fascinating character mm-hmm. in and of in and of herself. Uh, just because uh, the idea of you know a a genuinely competent you know warrior gal mm-hmm. um, is not common, <laughs> yeah, in the genre that we're talking about. It's it's you know as uh, yeah yeah. Just saying. So. And yeah, I see what you're saying about space elves, mm-hmm. which which is its own kind of set of tropes in anime. Yeah, it also. is. It is. Yeah, it's it's its own kind of thing. So yeah, no, I I would I would totally totally be down mm-hmm. for for this one also getting getting some more time. Yeah. Pretty All right, cool. give us one more of yours, and we're gonna okay. we're gonna stop the episode after that. Okay, sounds so. good. Uh, so my next one is man, I gotta pick which one of this because I'm doing this. I'm doing this in order. Um, oh, okay. I think, I'm gonna say I think my next one is gonna be Pirates of Dark Water. I don't know it. If I'm interested, if I, if I had to, if I had to pick, you know, in like which of these do I most want to see rebooted? Mm-hmm. It's not Pirates of Dark Water. It's it's my my last one. But I really would like to see Pirates of Dark Water get some more time. So, Pirates of Dark Water was a little bit late for you and me. This is actually an early '90s cartoon. Okay. Um, the fact that I remember this one and talking to a friend of the show, Bishop O'Connell, uh, he and I had a conversation about it this afternoon. Uh, he remembers it, which just shows what complete dorks we were uh, <laughs> going into high school because we were still watching afternoon cartoons. Um, Pirates of Dark Water ran in 91 and 92. And I, I'm trying to figure out even where to start with this. So the the uh, speaking of not terribly original names, uh, the, 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 the story takes place on the planet of Mer, M-E-R. Yeah. Which of course is mare, which of course is ocean. Yeah, where we get merman, mermaid, um, and so right off the bat, you can tell this is you know going to involve ships. It talks mm-hmm. about pirates, so I mean, come on. But the thing is, there is some amazing world building in this show. The world of Mer looks and acts like you'd imagine a Roger Dean painting too. And if you don't immediately recognize what I what I mean when I say Roger Dean painting, uh, if you're listening, I want you to go to Google, 
type in Roger Dean Yes album covers. And you'll see what I mean. Okay. He, he does he does these wonderful like psychedelic fantasy scapes with with you know rock formations that could never exist in in reality. And uh, there's there's one there's one of his paintings that's of a sea on a mountaintop. Like there's there's this vast mountaintop that is just one gigantic lake. He looks like somebody that they would have like they would have subcontracted out any Boston or Journey album to. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Okay. Uh, prog rock, like you know, prog rock band covers. This sure. Sure. Is like his his thing, and it's this this amazing. It, it was like as close as you could get to a truly psychedelic kind of fantasy world on a, on a broadcast television cartoon. Mm-hmm. The planet is like, it's genuinely fantastical away. It genuinely fantastical, pardon me, in a way that, that kind of brings heavy metal to mind. Um, there are islands that rise up out of the ocean. There are rivers that flow uphill uh, and the ships and, and their bodies of water floating like on on floating or or suspended islands like mm-hmm. there's the surface of the ocean and there'll be this shelf of an island above it okay with water on top of that and so it's this multi-tiered ocean kind of thing going on and the ships in the in the show go from riding on the waves to literally the the the, the ship of the of the protagonist it's its main sail actually turns into a wing okay and it can glide okay and that's and that's one of the major ways that they that they travel and it's and it's just it's it's psychedelic i can't think of a better way to describe it in this way that is amazingly fantastical and yet completely believable like the characters all treat all of this craziness going on in the, you know, geologically hyperactive planet they live on. They, they treat it as, you know, perilous and, and, you know, uh, you know, uh, important. Uh, but it's, but it's also kind of matter of fact to them. Mm-hmm. It's just, this is the way the world behaves. Right. Right. You know, and, and for the world building alone, I would want to see more out of it, but that's not all it has going on. It, it has a literally epic storyline. The story is a hero's journey hmm. story. Okay. Um, the protagonist is Ren and he is a secret prince. He, he grows up from, you know, infancy until roughly 18, 19 mm-hmm. Luke Skywalker age. Um, okay. Uh, being raised by a lighthouse keeper on the edge of this fallen kingdom. And it's only when he gets to be age of majority that uh, the bad guy comes hunting for him because he has an artifact, the bad guy wants. Okay. Uh, the bad guy, by the way, is a pirate Lord named Bloth, who's the size of an ox. And he's this, you know, big, you know, ogreish kind of figure mm-hmm. uh, who, Although physically imposing, I think this is this is this was an important thing to me looking at it at the time it was on the air. He was physically imposing, but he was mostly terrifying because he was a credible leader of a pirate semi nation. 
Like he had a fleet of pirates under his command. Okay. Okay. And yeah. while he was physically imposing and physically threatening, it was not his physical attributes that made him the big bad. It was the fact that he was acknowledged as the commander of this, of this floating army of nasties. Right. You know, and uh, so the main character finds out that, you know, no, actually you are the last remaining heir to the royal line of, you know, this fallen empire. And this and what and this item that the bad guy wants is a compass that will guide you to the 13 treasures of rule. Mm-hmm. And when you and and the treasures are important because the dark water in the title is this physical corrupting force coming up out of the core of the planet uh, that the treasures will help you drive back. And and if the dark water spreads across the entire planet, we're all going to be screwed, basically. Okay. And Bloth wants the treasures. He, he wants to get the treasures in order to rule the world because if he has control over the dark water... He can extort. throw he can, yeah, he yeah. can threaten people with it. Um, and so our, our hero, you know, is forced to flee and he winds up falling in with, you know, a, a kind of a druid woman sorceress and uh, a, a Han Solo-ish, roguish pirate character gone good named Ayaz. And... Um, and so, and so it's, it, it, there are all these tropes out of the hero's journey, mm-hmm. but it never winds up feeling cliched because visually mm-hmm. it's really heavily non-Western coded, oh. which made it, which made it like incredibly rare mm-hmm. on TV at the time. And even to this day, uh, all of the aesthetic cues for the clothing, the physical culture of, of all of the cultures. So the world of Murr, first of all, is, is phantasmagorical. Mm-hmm. Number one. Then on top of that, all of the aesthetic cues of the physical culture of the people living there mm-hmm. is taken from non-Western sources. Uh, there are very clear Middle Eastern influences or very clear Asian influences, and it's done in a way – but it's very clearly not knights and castles and feudalism. Nice. But you but you don't look at it and like with so much stuff in the eighties, you don't immediately look at it and go, well, okay, it's Japanese. Right, right. You know. Or or it's not, you know, it's not a it's not a Wuja film. It's not clearly this is all Chinese. Mm-hmm. Like it mm-hmm. it is it is genuinely to to a to a Western European kind of audience, it is genuinely exotic. Mm-hmm. And even to folks who are from an Asian background, it would look exotic because it is a, it is a blend of things that becomes its own, its own thing. Mm-hmm. And then, then big, big idea here, the heroic trio in the series, the, the main character of the sorceress and Ayaz, the pirate, they are all coded as non-white. Okay. Okay. Even even our hero Ren, he has blonde hair. If I'm remembering mm-hmm. right, he has blue eyes, but his complexion is a couple of shades darker than Mediterranean. Okay. He is. He is. They. They are all okay. of them. I. You know. Now that you mention him, I can almost picture the. 
kind of the splash screen in the beginning of the cartoon. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Like he's standing on the poop deck of a ship or, or yeah. below it or something. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. All right. Yeah. All right. And uh, the roguish anti-hero companion is voiced by Hector Elizondo. No shit. Yeah. That's cool. And is and is and is coded as ethnic. Like Okay. You know, I mean in in that in that kind of sort of cringy way that stuff would be in the nineties, but still right. it's like he was and and the thing is they're coded as non white. But all of the character all of the characters, every character in this show mm-hmm. had complicated inner motivation. Cool. Like Ren, Ren, well, okay, Ren kind of didn't have complicated motivation because he's secret prince. He's you know Dudley Do Right of the Mount. He's off to save the world. Well, your yeah, your your protagonist you know, is rarely a complication uh, uh, or a complicated inner life when it's a cartoon. Yeah. Like it's everyone yeah. around him that that colors yeah. all of the spaces in. Yeah, but yeah. but his his two main companions both have backstories that mean that at times they become a liability okay. because because they have debts they haven't paid because they have, you know, uh, loyalties or issues that, that, you know, get in the way mm-hmm. because in the case of one of them, they Oh, Oh, also Roddy McDowell was a voice actor in, in the original pilot for the series. Roddy McDowell did the voice for a non-human character, a monkey bird. Why do I know that name? Uh, Roddy McDowell? Yeah. Planet of the Apes. Okay. Yeah. Uh, any number of other things, but that's the first one that comes to mind. He, he was he he was one of the chimp scientists in Planet of the Apes. Okay, yeah, yeah. Um and and so in this in in the in the pilot movie for this for this series, he he did the voice acting for the monkey bird. Mm-hmm. Uh, who who is kind of the trickster you know, kind of the snarf, but a lot smarter than snarf ever was and occasionally actually useful. <laughs> um, you know, and, and, uh, you know, that character who's mm-hmm. not even like human and is somewhere between a pet sidekick and traveling companion, like depending on how you want to call it. Right. Even, even he has a couple of points in the storyline where it's like, well, okay, can we really count on him when we need to? Because, you know, he's basically kind of selfish, like, right? You know, and 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 there was and there was genuine nuance. There was genuine uh, depth to the to the supporting characters. The storylines were PG, but but serious. Mm-hmm. You know, they never they never got you know overtly you know terribly violent or gory, but it was but it was definitely you know fate of the world is at stake. Mm-hmm. There was definite peril. For the for the main characters, the villains were a truly meaningful threat, and um, you know if it had been given more time, by the end of the second season, uh, Ren had recovered eight of the treasures of Rule, and had managed to drive the Dark Water back off of half of the planet, and then we never got to see how the story ended. So yeah, clearly it's left with some unresolved part of it that oh yeah huge. make it worth bringing you know, back yeah and and uh, you know I'd like to see more of Tula mm-hmm. if nothing else that's the sorcerer's character because you know sure 
you know, I was in early high school. She was hot. I'm just saying. Um, <laughs> I'm not ashamed to admit it. Uh, you know, uh, you know, I, I know, I know plenty of plenty of my contemporaries would would say similar things about. I want to see more of Chitara. I'm, you know, and who am I to judge? Okay. Like, you know, um, <laughs> but yeah, you know, and and this this was this was genuinely good story writing and mm-hmm. genuinely good adventure story that just fizzled out and ended. And, and we never, we never got, we never got a real ending. And I'd, I'd like to see, I'd like to see the story. Yeah. Finish. Yeah. Well, cool. All right. Uh, so, um, there ain't nothing to glean here so far. Uh, ultimately, uh, so I had, other than your hippie dip, yeah, <laughs> I was gonna say I had the Wuzzles and the Orbots, yeah, and that was it. And you yeah. had the Tiger Sharks and yeah. Pirates of Dark Water. Pirates of Dark Water. All right, Which so was a Hanna Barbera property was it really? Yeah. Okay. So drawing themes, you are yeah. drawn to the sea. <laughs> well, I'm a Navy brat, so I suppose that makes sense. Yeah, I was gonna say, and you grew up part of your time on Hawaii, so the idea yeah. of swimming, the idea of that underwater world, it has attraction to you. Okay, yeah, that um, makes sense. And it's still heroic because uh, you're following Mako and/or what was the pirate kid name? Ren. 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 Uh, you're f- and and you absolutely want to be the the Gryffindorian uh, bard. Uh, leader. I'm sorry, Paladin. Paladin says what? Yeah. Huh? Uh, what? So okay. So I, I'm I don't seeing, know what you're talking about. I'm seeing themes there. there. I'm seeing yeah, themes there. Yeah, probably. Uh, yes. Yeah. Whereas I am apparently about characters who have uh, rich possibilities with their identity, and uh, <laughs> and and push kind back on capitalism at once. <laughs> yeah, living in two worlds at once. Yeah, uh, yeah. so all right all right yeah and and the and the pushback against capitalism yes yeah. yes <laughs> so also <laughs> i apparently revolution. i apparently only like shows that lasted 13 seasons or 13 episodes in 13 a season episodes. yeah so like, dude yeah well we'll see if that holds because there's still three more to go okay yeah so, this is true yeah. you have you have a significant portion of your thesis left to <laughs> yeah. uh, left to share left to unpack so all right. Well, uh, I think we've got recommendations for people uh, just on those four cartoons alone. Although, oh yeah, I'm trying to think of like. So I, I, you remember, I love the Twilight Zone, um, and oh, I, yeah. I found the 1980s version uh, on DVD, oh. and I have yeah? it. Yeah. Oh, dude. And okay. I found. Um, oh God, what else did I find? Oh, I found the D and D cartoon. Right, and I yeah, have that. I still need to borrow that from you. At yes, some you point, do. Yes, you do. How many episodes did that wind up getting? Twenty-seven. Okay. Yeah. Still not enough. No. That that would need an honorary spot on this list. Yeah, it does. <laughs> yeah, pour one out for that one. <laughs> yeah. But I'm just I'm thinking in terms of like there've got to be some sort of like Australian distribution company or something <laughs> for some of these. And I bet you if you look up, like, uh, Karate Cat and Street Frogs, you might find Tiger Sharks attached. 
No, so. I, I, oh, wow. I actually no. Uh, okay. Tiger Sharks as a series has not received any DVD release. Oh. As part of anything, nowhere. Wow. You can find it on YouTube. Uh, yeah. Because you can find everything on YouTube. True, true. Okay. Including The Life and Times of Santa Claus, which is the Rankin Bass <laughs> puppet show that my mother turned off because, you know, too oh my heathen. God, this is too pagan for me. Yeah. Oh, the woman funny. who, you know, yeah, anyway. <laughs> <laughs> Just like the literally the only time in my upbringing that was like, uh, I don't know, paganism, I don't know. <laughs> you know, that's like, you know, I hear I hear stories about, you know, millennial friends of mine who were like, oh, yeah, no, my parents weren't sure about Harry Potter, right? Right. You know, or, or might be younger than millennial, but, you know, you know, folks notably younger than me saying, you know, yeah, my folks were unsure about Harry Potter. And I'm like, I never had anything like that happen. And then randomly this, the memory of the lifetimes of Santa Claus popped into my head and went, Oh my God, my mother actually <laughs> turned that off because that was not appropriate. Oh, because, you know, yeah, because, because too pagan, like, Oh, that's yeah. funny. Yeah. All right. So if, if if people need to yell at you about Mighty Warbots, where can they find you to do it? Uh, you can find me at Da Harmony on the uh, Twitter and on the Instagram. Uh, you can you can find me there for that. You can find me every Tuesday night on Twitch.tv forward slash Capital Puns. Um, but All I'll right. be making jokes and puns and stuff like that. So um, okay, yeah. And uh, where can people find you if they want to argue with you about uh, the the milieu of tiger sharks? Well, if if they want to argue with me about it, I'm more than willing to have an open conversation because you know <laughs> it's cool. But uh, uh, I can be found uh, specifically at uh, Mr. Blaylock on TikTok and at E H Blaylock on Twitter. Uh, and E.H. Blaylock on Instagram. Uh-huh. And uh, if you need to yell at both of us for some reason because of some remark we've made about, you know, grizzly bears that uh, you you think is, is flawed, uh, then you can find the both of us at Geek History Time. Yes. On the Twitter machine. Cool. All right. So, well, then for A Geek History of Time, I'm Damien Harmony. And I'm Ed Blaylock. And until next time, Thundercats go.